All right, guys, you're here live with Josh Thompson for Punk's Opinion. I'm going to give you guys a... Actually, you guys are going to give me a bunch of questions, and I'm going to answer them for you guys. So um, I don't know if you guys watched my show on Monday. We did a Punk's Opinion there, and it was kind of like... Almost felt like low energy Jeb Bush, and it was really bad. Like I went back, I actually kind of want to apologize. I was exhausted from all the traveling from Chicago to, you know, to 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 the UK the week before, and then San Jose show like three three shows in a row, man. And I was exhausted, so um, it kind of came out on the podcast. I want to apologize to you guys. Hey, but hey. We are here now, and obviously you can see I'm my vibrant self as usual, okay? And, uh, you know, I try to kind of clean up for you guys a little bit. Try to be as dashingly handsome as I can for you, even though it's I'm sure it's all dudes posting in this in this thing right here asking questions. But, uh, yo, we're about to answer some questions for you guys, so let's do this, all right? What you got there? Producer Dave. All right. Uh, first question. Are you, are you your podcast Dave now, though? Podcast. But well, I call I'm, you producer Dave. I'm producer Dave in my profile, but podcast Dave is my handle. Is your hand is my handle? My handle. It's my handle. <laughs> so that's your Twitter handle too? No, I don't have oh. Twitter. I don't have a personal. Well, I do have you a personal Twitter? Twitter, but I don't Gosh, use it. Gosh, man, what? How can you ever pro anything if you don't have a Twitter? What do you mean? All right, go ahead. All right, you're you're really you're making me depressed right now. I'm gonna eat my jerky. <laughs> See, I I got this new fitness jerky. Stuff's pretty good. Man. I eat it as well. Protein candy. I subscribe yeah, to them. It's pretty damn good, it's man. Good. It's pretty it's damn good. good Anyways. Um, so the first question comes from my fave book, Bronte Jane Iyer, uh, long name, you know, Tony Ferguson changed managers recently and him and Connor used to have the same manager. Did you think that was a conflict of interest that the manager favored Connor over Tony and should Tony have changed managers sooner? Hmm. What's up, Lapu Lapu 54? Let me, um, I, I think it is a little bit of a conflict of interest, but... Um, it really just depends on how, like, I guess, I guess it depends on how the manager is using it. So look, if you're an, if you're a manager, you're not supposed to kind of leverage one fighter for another, but I think if I was a fighter, right, I think that'd be a great idea to do that, to actually make sure your manager's, um, um, getting you the best that he can. Now, in no way do I think that's right, (laughs) but I'm saying that I, I have been, uh, on the receiving ends receiving end a couple times of I had a, a friend that was a manager who had a fighter and he kind of helped get me a fight that was uh, a huge fight for me and we you know and this was this was uh, out of the country and it, he helped leverage one of the guys that he managed that was really big and I'm not gonna name any names but that's what helped get me my foot in the door to to a big show so to another big show that I was uh, a part of as well so um, but I mean, I think overall though, just to my personal opinion, my punk's opinion is that as a manager, yes, I think it's a conflict of interest because you don't know, you don't know, um, how they're pitching Connor and how they're pitching, um, Tony Ferguson, but per, Tony Ferguson. But the one thing I will say though, is that they're in completely different ends of the world, man. And I'm not saying like just geographically, I'm saying simply the fact that, Connor can call the shots, and realistically, he doesn't need a manager for the fight game anymore. And I don't understand why he even still has one. Just my personal opinion. Maybe he doesn't want to deal with it, but I think he can go directly to Dana and be like, look, I don't need to pay 10% or 3% or whatever it is I'm paying to my manager and say like, hey, I, I don't I don't need you anymore. I can just talk directly to Dana and say this is what I want. And this is you know, maybe he 
maybe he doesn't go through his contracts. You know, maybe he doesn't know what the what what all the actual things are that are listed on there, what he asked for, and things like that. Maybe his manager kind of tells him that, but guys don't normally feel comfortable doing that. And they also don't know what the market is. Your manager's job is to keep up with the market. And I don't think Connor, I don't think it's, I think they're always going to try to give Connor the greatest deal. Tony Ferguson, not in the same situation. I've said this, I don't know how many times. I'm a huge Tony Ferguson fan. Everyone knows that I fought him. Everyone knows um, it didn't go my way. It was uh, one of the worst fights I probably ever, not, not as in terms of like, I didn't perform well. I just I just lost the fight. And legitimately, I felt like that was one of the fights that I had ever had that I truly thought that I lost. You know, losing to Benson, I thought I won. Losing to other guys, I thought I won. Like, guys will tell you that. But that fight, I legitimately just straight up just lost. Just got outworked, got out hustled, just got everything was went his way. And, um, but my thing with him is that all those things being said, I'm a huge Tony Ferguson fan. That being said, he to me, doesn't move the needle. Now, we don't know how much of that doesn't move the needle means that because pay-per-views now are shit, so every time he fought on a pay-per-view or anytime he had a fight that was uh, you know, on Fox or whatever it was, the needle never moved. But then we were also in a really weird era right now of, of TV. People are streaming it from their phone. People are streaming it from whatever apps, and it's having an effect on the numbers. So to think that people are not uh, needle movers, it's hard for me to say who is and who isn't these days because it's so strange what's going on with the TV world. Um, do I do I think that it conflicts the manager? It depends on how the manager's handling it. And if he's smart, I think it's probably best that Tony did leave. But if the manager was smart, they're on different ends. And so there's no reason for him to, to treat uh, Tony any different than he treats Connor. Just the problem is the deals will be different. And it doesn't really matter if the two fighters fight. It doesn't matter. Um, it just matters that one of your guys is going to lose and one of your guys is going to win, you know, and it sucks for the manager to be stuck in the middle, but the honest to God truth, like his job is to get the best money for both of them. And if he can do that, then it benefits him both ways. Now, do I think that's kind of like a little bit of double dipping if your two of your guys are going to end up fighting? I think it is. And I think as fighters, you should say like, Hey, if I have to fight somebody else that you're managing, you're going to cut your commission. Because there's no reason why you should you should be getting paid on both sides for us to, for us to fight, you know. Like you might as well cut it in half, so you're basically just getting one pet one one commission for both. That's all you would get anyways, if I, if I was fighting someone else. So I think um, from the fighters, those are things that fighters. I think guys like Connor and guys like Tony that have the kind of leverage that they have, being at the top of the chain right now and being who they are. I feel like that's something that they could have probably come to come to an agreement on, or you know, one of them could have left. And Tony left, and I think it was probably—I think it had something to. I think there was probably more to do to it than, than just that he repped Connor, you know. And uh, it, probably there was other issues and other things going on. Maybe he didn't like the way that he was dealing with Dana. Maybe maybe he thought you know somebody else could do a better job. I don't know who who he eventually ended up going with as far as his manager, but uh, you know that that's a personal preference on on how you want things to be handled as well. So. Um, but I couldn't tell you why he left. I mean, maybe there were some other underlying issues um, that got out as well. Who knows? Next question. Mm -hmm. From Gabriel Soriano. Uh, how was it fighting Nate Diaz? Very broad question, but there you go. Okay. Um, I think what, you, what you're asking me is <clears throat> you want the details of like what the feel of the fight was. 
I mean, obviously, I think everyone's happy. It doesn't matter if it was Nate or if it was Joe Blow down the street. Getting a win and getting the win the way that I got the win, that feels great. That's that's pretty much a straight up answer. You know, that, that, that would have been that would an answer for anybody that you get a win like that over. And it doesn't matter if it was Nate or somebody else. Uh, it feels good to get that type of win. Um, but the feel of it, as far as uh, I expected him to be a little bit faster. Uh, I expected him to be a little bit busier. But then we also understood that the way I decided to fight him was the way that Carlos Condit and GSP fought Nate and how Carlos Condit and, and fought uh, Nick Diaz. So um, how those guys fought Nick is kind of, and how Benson fought a little bit, how Benson fought Nate. That's how I kind of I laid out the, they laid out the groundwork on how I decided to fight him. Now, the one thing that I decided with uh, Nate was that, and Nick, they both do the same thing. If you stick and move and circle out and cut the corners and you get and you run to the other side of the cage and you wait for them to come there. Sometimes they'll just stop and walk to you. But what they don't realize is in that process of them just turning around and walking to you, there's probably like 30 seconds or 20 seconds coming off the clock every time. So if you're sticking and moving, I mean, honestly, you land like say seven or eight combinations, that's a round. You know, now don't get me wrong, you there's a lot of opportunity for you to get caught in those scenarios and those situations. But I expected him to be a little bit faster. He was as long as I thought he would be, like, as far as, you know, his reach and his range. Um, but I also expected him to be a little bit busier. But I wasn't sure if it was because maybe I was a little bit faster than he thought I was. Every time I went to do something, he kind of flinched a little bit. Every time he overcommitted, I was able to counter and throw real quick or beat him to the punch. Because I think he wasn't as, he wasn't as fast as uh, I thought he was going to be. Uh, I had watched him fight Donald Cerrone years ago. And I was like, man, he just keeps touching Cerrone, keeps touching Cerrone. And I felt like had he fought me a little bit like that, where he just was walking Cerrone down and throwing combinations, punches, and bunches, it, might, it would have been a lot tougher of a fight for me. I also thought, because I had grappled him a long time ago, and I knew he wasn't very like physically strong, but he was also a lot younger when I had grappled him a long time ago. And I had just seen him get guys in positions and triangles and guillotines in, in fighting, and I was thinking to myself, like, man, like he's got to be strong in these areas, but he's not. He's not at all. So anytime we got in the clinch, anytime we got into that, where we got into close range fighting, there, I, I didn't feel, I felt like I could move him around wherever I wanted. I felt like the clinch work was working for me. Like there was no desire for me to like take him down at all. So all I had to do is punch clean, circle out, go to the other side of the cage, wait for him to overcommit land my shots, maybe clinch with him, press him to the fence. And if you guys recall, during that fight, what cut him up so bad was I was pressing on his face while we were standing against the fence and clinching with him, pressed on the face and just slid my hand off and elbow. I did that a lot to the point where I was I had cut him a couple times. So that all that being said, like that fight right there, it, it felt like one, and I'm not trying to knock him at all. I just felt because of the strength and because um because of the speed that I had, I think over him, I had I felt I felt like very confident as the fight was going on, and it was just growing with more confidence. And he wasn't fighting me at such a fast pace like most guys. He pressures a lot, you know. Like when he was fighting Connor, he just kept walking him down and walking him down and walking him down. And Connor, instead of being smart and circling and waiting until he got his breath back. You know, he would just jump right in and engage. Like, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. If you get into that slugfest with those guys, 
it's very rare that's ever i don't that's never gonna happen i mean like i didn't think that at all so i just waited and waited and waited for my moments to land big shots and then get in and get out and circle out if you guys recall every time i got close to him i actually cut the corner dipped out and came out the side and most of the time i ended up behind him you know and uh almost like how ronda rousey threw a hook over holly Holm and she dipped out the side and came out behind her and you know it, i felt like every time we were in exchanges that's kind of what i was doing you know and if i wasn't there then i was in the clinch pressing him to the fence and just trying to land elbows and, and do some knee work you know to kind of take away his conditioning a little bit the one thing i've always felt was uh really comfortable really comfortable in the clinch in the knee area if you go back to my strike force fights that's something i did i used to use a lot was my knees and so um, I felt really good there with him uh, against the fence, you know, and uh, that was it, man. That, I, overall, that's how I felt about the fight. I mean, as far as the, the finish and everything, I mean, that's it doesn't matter who you fight. You're always excited to get a finish like that. From Gautama, Nathan, do you think it's possible for MMA as a sport to hold a yearly event slash competition where fighters from all organizations get to compete against each other? Kind of like how amateur wrestlers have the world championships <coughs> and how NBA players get to represent their respective countries in the Olympics regardless of what team they are signed to. Yeah, so I've, uh, I've said this for years. I've said what we should do is we should do basically like how Pride used to do their year-end show and you basically have all the organizations come together and you put up your champions or you put up uh, your top talent against other top talents from other organizations. And you let them fight just once a year on New Year's Eve or the day before New Year's Eve, whatever it is. And you just and I think that's a pay-per-view or that's a you put that on an app, whatever it is. But I think that would do huge, huge numbers every year. I think that would do huge numbers because every year that gives you an opportunity to build stars. And every year that gives the fans something to really look forward to almost like how they had international fight week or whatever for the ufc for a while honestly the people li they like lived for that it was so crazy i mean all the sponsors that were there everyone was there now it's just reebok and everyone's like i don't even want to go anymore people don't even go like i don't even know if they do it anymore because it's it's dead no one wants to go to that just to go look at reebok clothes you know um it's good to go for the three nights of fights but when they had international fight week it was like there was all the fighters would come out for it. They all were part, like their sponsors would bring them out to be part of that. So it actually kind of worked out. Like you got a lot more up and coming, you got not up and coming, but a lot, they had a lot more stars being brought out there by the sponsors instead of the organization having to bring them out. So that gives you, it gives you guys an opportunity. It gives the fighters an opportunity to become stars um, by their sponsors. So like, I remember like Headblade and, and um, Throwdown and, all these other cage, uh, what's it called? Um, the one that DC sponsored by, uh, not Cage Hero. It was something else. Um, anyways, but like all, all these cage fighter. Sorry, it was on the tip of my tongue the whole time. Anyways, these these companies would fly these guys out, and the UFC didn't have to fly them out. So I mean, in the long run, the UFC is not flying guys out, and so you're, they're not building any new stars. If your fighters are not seen, your athletes are not seen then you're not building new stars. People don't care about them. Like, and it's not that they don't care about them. They just never get an opportunity to meet them. And the one thing that the MMA has over NHL, NBA, and NFL, and Major League Baseball is that we're accessible. Fighters are more accessible than any other professional sport. I mean, even boxers, you'll run into them sometimes at, you know, 
the clubs and things like that, you'll be able to see them out and about and still kind of engage with them like Amir Khan, you know, Canelo, uh, Manny Pacquiao, Triple G. I mean, maybe not so much Triple G, but you'll still kind of run into those guys periodically sometimes at locations. With NFL players, football players, or, uh, basketball players, good luck, man. Good luck ever kind of – it's it's rare that you ever get a chance or opportunity to run into them, and especially when you are – when you have an event like International Fight Week or if you have a show like on New Year's Eve where all the organizations kind of come together and, and fight, I think that'd be huge. I think it's something like a year-end show that all the fans all the fans would get behind. And can you imagine, man, if you did that, if you did something like that in different parts of the world, like you did it at Saitama Arena in Japan or if you did it in the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas or you did it, you know, in different areas, you know, in United in the United Center, I think it is, in Chicago – if you did it in, in Madison Square Garden, of course, and you did it in different areas of the world also, too, in London, and you do it at uh, Wembley Stadium, like, can you imagine AT&T? If they, I think a fight like that, something like that, would be could be possibly done like AT&T, fo- like in the football field, in uh stadium, in Dallas, where the Dallas Cowboys play. Something like that would really pack out the seats. Just my personal opinion, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. The UFC wants to, they want to make sure that their guys never uh, have to contend with other guys because if they feel like they do that, then it lets everyone know that then, that they feel like those other fighters are now on the level of the UFC guys. So as a, as and that's a smart move by the UFC, by the way, they're letting the world understand that those other shows they can go ahead and do that, but us we're not going to do that. So if Bellator and One and Ryzen and they all want to get together and have a, a year end show and have their fighters all mix it up with each other. I think it would be great because it's, it's caused a lot of controversy and stir it up, like how good these guys really are. And then that would leave the UFC out like, oh, shit, somebody else is doing something that we're not doing. And they eventually, I think, would come in because more people would start paying attention to those three other organizations. But I don't think that would, I don't think that's going to happen, honestly, for a long time. I know Ryzen and Bellator have a good relationship. You have Darren Caldwell fighting uh, Horiguchi coming up at Madison Square Garden on June 14th. Uh, same night, Chael Sonnen fights Lyoto Machida. So that's a shameless plug there. But um, but that whole ordeal, like they are doing it, champion versus champion. That's happening. They already fought one time over in a ring in Japan, and now they're coming back over here and fighting in a cage in Bellator and Madison Square Garden. So that to me is that's the first step. So those are the beginning steps of it. We'll see how it goes. All right. From Davon Smith, sub Josh, love the show. Two questions: Where are we at with the Sammy fight? Lol. As the uh, <laughs> uh, as the first guy to finish Nate, do you grow tired of the people who say that Nate doesn't get finished? Part of the reason I pick Pettis to win the match is because of the mixed striking game he has and explosive kicks, like you show them to be effective against Nate. <clears throat> yeah, I think I think the thing is though with Nate. Okay, as far as when's the match going on between Sammy and Dave, um, we're waiting on Sammy to figure out what he want to do a date. We'll set the date. I need I need at least what did I say? Two, two weeks. weeks. Two weeks. I need at least two weeks with Dave. Dave just started a new job with a new company, so he's not able to get a whole lot of time off that, and he's really really fat right now. Fuck so I need, he needs time. He needs time to kind of get the weight down before I start trying to work the training. Can't make me look bad, man. Um, I have some teaching and coaching credentials I need to uphold. Okay, so anyways, that being said, the uh, second question with Nate. The second question with Nate is that Pettis has a really good chance as long as he uses that low-level calf kick and the leg kicks to keep the range and the distance because Nate Diaz is really long. 
Now, the other thing as well, I feel like Nate fights a better fight when he doesn't like you. He's that kind of guy. So when there's words exchanged and there's a lot of things going on, I feel like he fights a better fight. Um, we, him and I never had issues or problems or con, like we never, nothing at all. So it was never, never an exchange of words that were ever bad. And I don't know if he just, he underestimated me. I don't know if he had problems in camp. I don't know if, I don't know what his issue was, but, and I don't think he, I don't think he did have an issue when we fought, but I'm simply saying like, I think that Nate, I, I can't say that Nate now is better than Nate then because he had just fought for the title against Benson when I fought him. And um, I was his next fight. So the the thing is, is, I feel like now when he's fighting someone like Pettis, I feel like he's seen enough of Pettis. He knows enough of Pettis. I think he thinks he knows how he can beat Pettis. But you have to remember this, though, as well. He hasn't fought in, what, three years? Nate, yeah. Yeah, it's almost three years, right? 2016. Damn, man. Right um, but they said he's been, he's been training a lot. You know, Gil's getting into the camp also. So Gil's getting ready so the two of them can train together. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm excited to see the fight. I, I, I can't, I'm not going to pick a winner. I do know that the, the advantage goes a lot largely to, uh, Nate. Nate just finds ways to, to get wins, you know, and sure he's lost some, but let's be real, man. He finds ways to get wins. If he comes walking Pettis down forward and, and is able to touch him and touch him and touch him, I, I think, I think it's going to be good. I mean, but I do, I, if I'm not going to lean either, either way right now. But I will tell you this, that Duke Rufus posted something today uh, on IG and was talking about how my coach, the one that helped train me for the Nate Diaz fight, Derek Ewan, used to train and coach, uh, used to train with and helped uh, Duke Rufus get ready for his uh, world title fights and was also like a student of Duke, but also kind of helped coach him as well for his fights. And they have a very similar type coaching style and pedigree of each other. And I don't, and I can already tell you that they've already talked about how Josh Thompson beat Nate Diaz. They've already talked. He wouldn't have posted something like that without them saying that they hadn't talked. I'm sure he's already talked to Derek, uh, my coach, and just said, hey, like, what was the focus for that camp? Like, what did you guys, what, how did you guys look at it? And why, why did Josh fight the way he did? So I'm sure that they together are probably breaking it down. Next question. Uh, from Duke Wilkos, uh, how's it going, Josh? Hey, so how do you feel about Frankie getting the next title shot? I think it's great, and I, and the re, and here's the other thing, is uh, what's his name, Volkanovski? Like he's got like an infection or something like that. I don't even know if he's left Brazil yet. Um, the other thing too is that there's no reason to wait around. Frankie, it's kind of like a long time coming. Frankie, Frankie's right there, man, and he's not getting any younger. I also, my personal, just my personal opinion, the UFC owes it to him. Just my personal opinion. Um, he's never, he's never said, he's never, he's always been a company man, is the way I should say it. He's always been a company man. He's always done a great job. And he's always done pretty much what they've asked him to do. Uh, I think, I think he would have had a way better career at 155. Had he stayed at 155, he would have been fought. He probably would have fought and won the title again, sometime down the road. Uh, I don't. I think stylistically, he matches up very well with all the 55 pounders because he was so fast at the time when he decided to go to 45. When he went to 45, it was the speed of the other guys that really kind of kept him from excelling at that weight. And I'm sure he's fought for the title, but every time he fought and he lost to Jose Aldo, 
now that he's fighting against Max, we're going to see, you know, if, if Frankie still has the ability to get those takedowns against somebody like Max Holloway. And uh, as far as me, I'm really excited for him. I'm happy for him. I'm excited for him. He's one of my best friends in the whole sport, you know, and I only have a handful of them. I mean, I got a lot of friends in the sport, but he's like one of my best friends. And uh, he's one of the greatest guys, I think, ever to walk the face of the earth, man. Great guy, and I'm super, I'm super happy for him. From Lee the Flea, he asks, Yo, Josh, do you think... Lee the Flea, I like that. <laughs> Lee the Flea. Yo, Josh, do you think if uh, John Fitch decides to continue in his career, he should get a title shot at the winner of the tournament, the Bellator title? He didn't lose, technically fought to a draw. Yeah, you know, I don't know. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, here's the other thing, though, too, is that even if we give him a shot and he wins, he's 42 years old, what are you going to do with him? And, and I'm only I'm only being a realist. I'm, and he's my boy. He's my friend. And, you know, all the things that he's ever done in his career and all the things that, you know, I, he's he's still my he's still my friend. But the bottom line is, is like, what do you get like, as, as a promotion? What do you do with that? Like he's 42. He wins the title. He retires. Now I have a vacant title. It's like nobody wants that, man. And so I think it'd be great to see him. If Rory wins, I'd like to see them run it back. But if Lima wins, I'd like to see John retire. I, don't, I think Lima is the guy that John just, I don't think he should fight. You know, um, like, honestly, I feel like Korshkov and Lima, they just don't get enough credit, man. Those two guys are nasty, wicked, good, and just the two of them are like the nemesis like Gil and I were in Strike Force. And every time they fight each other, they make each other better. And they just have great fights, man, with each other. And I love watching them. Now I'm excited to have Rory in the mix, but who knows how long it's going to last. You know, um, God works in mysterious ways on how, you know, <laughs> they don't want you to fight. They do want you to fight. Who knows, man? I mean, it's, it, it's weird. It's, it's, uh, it's different to me. But uh, I, who knows? I think that the guys that he needs to stay away from, John Fitch, would be Michael Venom Page. Too fast, too long, too quick. All the things that John is not. Okay? But John does have good wrestling. Potentially could take him down. But you have to get in first, man. And so many guys have tried before Paul Daly to get in. And Paul Daly, even though he's not a good wrestler, but Paul Daly's faster than John Fitch, you know, and be able to get the takedown. I, that fight, I just I don't see it working out for John. Just my personal opinion. The fight with, uh, I think if Roy wins the tournament, I'd like to see those two guys run it back. Lima, to me, is not a good fight for John also. With the power and the leg kicks, doesn't stylistically, I don't think, works for him. Um, Korshkov, same thing. So those three guys, I just, I feel like those three guys, if he was to fight those three, it'd be a really, really tough fight for him. You know, and not that, not that Roy McDonald wasn't, but John Fitch had a really good game plan for Roy, and it worked. You know, uh, it was doing well. So, if Roy wins the tournament, I'd like to see them run it back. <clears throat> From JJ. Mm -hmm. Hey, Josh, who do you have winning these three weight classes between UFC and Bellator champions? Holloway v. Pitbull, Whitaker versus Masasi, and Jones v. Bader. My name's Carl Parrott, big fan from England. Shout out, it would be cool as fuck. P.S. I went and brought, I went and bought EA1 just to use you to be nice, the Nice, man. Nice. <laughs> so crazy. EA1. Yeah, UFC one. That's um, dope. You want me to run through the three fights? Yeah, what was the three fights again? Uh, Holloway and Pitbull. I'm assuming he means 45 Pitbull. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they could probably do it at 55. But yeah, 45 would probably be the weight. Yeah. And then, okay, so that fight, who would win? Yeah. You know, 
they're so stylistically different, and they're both going to stand and trade. Um, I think, I don't know, man. You just saw you just saw Pit Patricio knock out, uh, what's his name? I don't think like Max Holloway doesn't. I haven't seen the one punch crunch kind of thing from Max, but we've seen it from Patricio. Um, but the length and the range of of um, Max Holloway is, I think, would give Patricio some problems. I really couldn't tell you who would win. Um, I got respect for both of them. I think both of them are very talented guys. Uh, but here's the thing is I'm going to lean a little bit. It, it depends. Are they fighting right now or are they fighting two months ago? That's the thing. Right now, Max, I don't feel like his confidence is at an all-time high after the loss. Um, and fighting is a very confidence-based sport. Not all sports are, but fighting is extremely about confidence. If you are not a confident fighter, it's you cannot buy a win. Okay, And it shows. When guys lose one fight, if they don't get the next win, and they lose two, they almost always lose three. It's like hard to come back from two losses in a row. And... I speak from experience, man. I never dropped more than two in a row. I dropped one, never lost two in a row, and then all of a sudden I lost two in a row. I was like, shit, lost three. It's it's one of those things. It's confidence. And you start questioning all the things you do in training. You start questioning your coaches. You start questioning your diet. You start questioning everything. And so when that comes down to it, man, it's hard, dude. It's so hard. So for me right now, Patricio is on cloud nine. I mean, he's got his sights already set on Darian Caldwell. If Darren Caldwell beats Horiguchi, he wants to be the first three-division champion. So he'll drop down to 135 and fight Darren Caldwell, the Wolf, at 135 for his title. And can you freaking imagine three-division champion? That's insane. Like, that's nuts to me to think that he could do that. You know? Nuts. Um, What was the next fight? Uh, Whitaker and Masasi. Oh, uh, Masasi, hands down. Hands down. I don't even, he's the most, him, Douglas Lima, him and Douglas Lima are probably the two most underrated athletes in in MMA, by far, hands down. And I'm not saying Whitaker's not good, I think he's good too, but Musasi just has, he's good all the way around, he's really good, all, he's a good striker, he, I mean, he is beating heavyweights, Whitaker's not going to show him anything that he couldn't, that he can't, that he couldn't do. Gegard Musashi's underappreciated. Every time someone brings up his name, it frustrates me because he's so humble, he's so quiet, he just kind of does his thing, you know. And from what I understand, after listening to uh, to uh, Joe Rogan and Brennan Schaub, he's got like the big dick itis. He got a big old dick. Apparently, is what they were talking about. They were talking about like, yeah, man, I guess somebody saw him, saw him in the in the sauna cutting weight, and they're like, good god, big old dick. That explains the confidence. Like Brendan Shaw was saying, that explains why he's got that big dick confidence. He does have it. It's very true. Uh shout out to Shab though, bro. Hey, and by the way, his Showtime, uh, his Showtime uh, special is coming out. I think this Friday night. Was it this Friday? Yes, I believe it's tomorrow this Friday. Night. Is I mean, it's tomorrow night. I think. Tomorrow but you try and look it up, and we'll make sure we plug him right. So uh, texting with him a little bit today, and uh, man, good stuff, man. I'm excited for him. I'm happy for him, man. I saw a couple little clips of it, and it looks pretty fucking funny. So he's a, he's a funny dude, he's man. Entertaining. Yeah, he's entertaining. I've seen him live a couple times, and uh, yes. obviously hung out with him and done the sh he did his big brown breakdown as well as his below the belt. It's tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. What time is it? It's ten o'clock Eastern, I think. So seven o'clock. Uh, I just saw the thing. It said two days. Two days left. Um. 
Yeah, I think it's ten. Mm. I think it's ten p.m. Eastern though. Okay. Yeah. Two days. Uh, yeah, no, it's. He doesn't have like the time on here. Oh, maybe it's, right. maybe it's on here. Um. And then the third fight is Jones v Bader. Uh, you you can't really and 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 look, I work for I work for Bellator. Just you know, put all the bias aside, but. No, you just can't root against John Jones. The clean John Jones or the dirty John Jones doesn't make a difference. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard not to root against him. I mean, I believe DC has it in him to beat him. Maybe not at two hundred five, but I think he has a bit, the ability to beat him at heavyweight. Uh, and Jones even talked about it a little bit today about how um, about how he's like, why would I go up to two hundred? Why would I go up to heavyweight and fight him where DC has the power on the size over me? He's like, no, come back down to two hundred five and fight me here. So I mean that lets you know that John that John's been talking about it. Now John also is somebody that is inspired and and uh, and um, uh, controlled by money. So if you you flash enough cash in front of him, he'll, he'll bounce out there. So he's that kind of guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right, um, next question. Clayton Funk asks, "Why do you think the BJ Penn won't pull the trigger anymore? He isn't outclassed. He's just outworked." Yeah. It, that has to do with age, guys. And there's there's nothing there's nothing I can say about. It. And here, let me give you an example. Is <clears throat> I was real hesitant when I fought um, when I fought my last three fights, four fights, my last four fights. I was real hesitant. I fought uh, Tony Ferguson. I did. I wasn't. I was like kind of waiting and waiting for him to go, and then I would try to counter. It just comes. I think it's just age, man. It really, I believe it is age. Even when I fought uh, Mike Bronzoulis with uh, Bellator, my first fight there, I was paranoid of losing another one. Like, I had never dropped three in my life. You know, I lost to Benson by a close split decision. I lost to, I lost to Bobby Green by a close split, split decision. In both those fights, I thought I won the fight. And I was so frustrated and so upset with it. Then I fought Tony Ferguson and just legitimately just got beat. I got beat. But in all three of those, in those fights, I, like even the Bobby Green fight, I just stopped pulling the trigger, man. I didn't pull the trigger. You go back and watch the fight. I landed my combinations and threw my... But he just threw more. Even if they didn't land, he threw more. And it looked better, I think, on his part. But I didn't think I didn't think he won the fight. Like, I landed the cleaner shots and did more. But Tony Ferguson just outworked me, outhustled me. But I was pretty hesitant in that fight as well. He would throw something. I would try to catch it. He threw a couple push kicks, and I caught his foot and tried to get the double leg. He threw some punches. He threw a kick. I tried to catch the kick and hit the double leg. Whatever it was, like, it just, those were the fights. And even when I fought when I fought uh, Mike Bronzoulis, I fought him. I waited for him to throw and then try to do something to counter it. Same thing with Pablo uh, Villaseca. Same thing with him. I waited for him to throw, and then I tried to counter and beat him to the punch. It's just, it's something in you, I think. You just, you start wondering if you're fast enough to get in and get out. You're wondering, too, if your shots and your combinations are going to land with enough power because you are getting older now. Like, is it enough power to, like, make them flinch, make them, you know, make them wobble? Anything that would make them react. It's not the same. You just don't have that same in you. And I don't know, man. I, it's really strange. It's really strange to me. Um, it was just something that I knew that I, it's like something that I knew in me that I just wasn't pulling the trigger anymore. And like the same thing with Patricio or Patricio when I fought him, I was like jab, like jabbing from way far away and throwing low level calf kicks. But never was I ever trying to like get into the mix with him, which was stupid because I felt like that fight, all I had to do was like get to the clinch, you know, and take away his power. If you get into that clinch area and as well as dropping down on the double, getting back up to the clinch, knees, elbows, all those things. 
But I never was really in that mix of like where I was throwing like a lot of combinations. I was fighting real hesitant, letting him come to me, letting him control and dictate the pace of the fight. And everything I did was from my outside range. You know, and I was trying to fight a smart fight. It just wasn't, it wasn't working, man. It wasn't working. I think it was a reality that I had to tell myself like, hey, you're, you're just not the same guy. You're not the same fighter. You're not the same guy. And you need to come to grips with that. And I, and I was fine coming to grips with that. It's just one of those things you're, you understand. And so I think with BJ, BJ just needs to figure out what he wants to do in life, you know, and the hardest part, and I've said this, I don't know how many times on our show, the hardest part about being an athlete if you've given yourself 20 something years, for me, I've given myself 22 years to this sport. You know, I started fight, actually 20, 21 years is I started fighting at such a young age. And even though I was wrestling in high school, a little bit of college and stuff, I, I was fighting and wrestling. I was still fighting on the weekends or fighting on the, you know, training out, you know, on the time off from wrestling, whatever it was. It just wasn't. Yeah, it's just it's so weird, man. It's just it was it wasn't there. It, like you've given so much, what do you do? What do you do now? And that's the hardest question for all these guys. They have no idea what they're gonna do. Like they 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 don't know, you know. And so when they don't know, like they might as well just keep fighting and making what I'm making, you know. And, and the the other thing that the next thing is, it's so hard to walk away from that much money. I mean, I'm giving you guys a, a rough estimation, but man, I walked away from you know I had three fights left on my contract. I mean, I. I walked away from, you know, probably close to $750,000 left on the table. That's a lot of money, man. That's a lot of damn money. So when you're walking away from that kind of money, it's hard just to like bounce and be like, hey, all right, guys, you know, this is it. You know, so I mean, sure, I can go back and I and the fights are always on the table whenever I want. But that's a lot of money to leave on the table for anyone, you know. And so I think that's the next part. You lose, you don't go to the gym anymore and you don't see the fellas as much. Like I haven't been to AK in probably two, three months. That's hard, man. That's hard. Those are guys that I train with every single day for, you know, 18 years or 15 years. You know, it's it's hard. So there's a lot of things that go through an athlete's mind when they got to leave that locker room or when they got to leave the gym or when they're not in that cage anymore. And there's so many things. And they don't know what else to do, you know. And uh, for me, luckily, I started a gym when I fought Benson. I was right in the middle of opening a gym when I fought Benson, which was probably stupid. But uh, for me, it actually worked out perfectly because I, as soon as I got done fighting him and I lost, I was like, all right, well, good. Now I'll just focus on my focus on my gym. So all my money that I made after that went into my gym. It, there's a lot, man. There's a lot of things that you know, fighters don't do that. And now, now in hindsight, I wish I would have started a different business because the gym's doing really well. But it's a lot of work. People don't think all fighters think like I'm just going to start a gym because of who I am. It's not all shits and giggles, boys and girls. <laughs> it's not, man. It's. It's a lot of work. The gym business is very hard. It's very up and down, and it's very hard. If you're not there, it won't make money. So for fighters, you guys need to understand that. Like, Just open a gym, and they will come. Yeah, they will come, but you have to be there to teach classes and to associate yourself with people, and, and you have to understand that. So just so you guys understand, like, don't start a gym thinking it's going to run itself because it ain't. So, And I'm here all the time, every time, and things like that. So just so you guys understand. All right. Next question from Gideon Doyle. What do you think of the Cowboy Tony fight, and who do you think is going to get the win? Uh, Cowboy Tony fight. You know, Cowboy is his grappling is extremely underrated. That's one. Two is Tony's been getting dropped a little bit sometimes in his last couple fights. Like he's getting rocked or getting hit or clipped. You know, he gets hit. He gets hit quite a bit. Um, but I'm actually going to lean towards Tony. 
Tony right now is on a fucking mission to get to that title. All he's got to do is beat Cerrone. He's going to sit and do champ shit only. Okay? That's all he's going to fucking do. And if he was smart, he would have taken that interim title shot because, to me, Dustin Poirier or Max Holloway, both those guys were way easier fights than fucking Donald Cerrone. And I'm not trying to knock those guys. But Tony Ferguson's towers over Max, like in height-wise and, and shit like that. And then Dustin Poirier, like... Even though he's a big guy himself, the overall, I think, the thing with Dustin is Dustin, he's a guy that will get coaxed into like standing, banging, throwing, and brawling, and he will stand there and bang in front of you, and that could be, that's at his own demise, like sometimes he can, he will end up sometimes losing because of that. Now, he's had a lot of success as of lately, fighting a little bit smarter, but that being said, Tony Ferguson, sure, he'll land and he'll stand in front of you and he'll do all these things and fight you and bang you. But he will also keep pushing the pace forward. He'll wrestle you. He'll try legs, you know, jumping legs or takedown. He'll do whatever it is. He'll have fun with it. And I think as a fighter like Dustin, who's a very straightforward fighter and just wants to bang and throw it all out there, that type of stuff, I think will throw him off. Like, you know, if Tony does something where he, he punches you and then does a forward roll to the other side and turns up and starts punching you again and kicking you, that shit starts throwing you off. And for someone like Dustin, Dustin wants to stand there like, hey, I'm going to stand in front of you, you stand in front of me, and let's fucking fight. Max is very similar, but Max also moves really well. Max also sticks and moves. Max also puts like longer punch comment, uses his range. I think he's a little bit faster than, than Dustin Poirier. I mean, that whole thing, I think, Max is a more interesting fight to me with, with uh, Tony Ferguson. But I, I'm going to give my, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Tony ends up beating Cowboy. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think with Cowboy not having a full camp and sure he just came out of a camp, but he's probably got a little bit banged up in some areas. And then on top of that, he's, you know, was off traveling, free diving or scuba diving and then comes with drinking beer and eating, eating tacos or whatever. I don't know. And then, uh, you know, and he put it all down, jumped on a flight and, uh, came home and started training. So I can't imagine being that far out of shape, but that's not the point. The point is that his mind and his mental set, his mental set is not the same as it would have been had he had a full six to eight week long camp next question um from christina miller what are the chances? oh not a not a guy yeah good <laughs> what are the chances khabib unifies the belt with dustin in september Ah, oh, pretty damn good yeah i mean barring like a crazy fluke injury yeah pretty damn good i would say 80 percent, 85 barring one of them doesn't get hurt Pretty straightforward. Um, from Johnny Utah, sup Josh? I was wondering what your opinion is on Rose getting slammed the way she did. I heard Big John saying that people are upset only because Rose is a girl and then nobody was complaining when Askren was sl slammed by Robbie. Yada yada. I think Big John is missing the fact when people look at the uh, when people look at Andrade, they see uh, masculine features, traps to her <coughs> traps to her ears, and the first thought that comes to mind is the girl obviously is using male something read more male hormones i think more people are upset because they know andrage is dirty what do you say yeah that it's so funny that people that he just said that um johnny utah it's funny that you said that because i got about seven or eight texts that night like hey when's this girl gonna get popped for fucking peds i'm like dude apparently she's like uh apparently she's uh in the usada program so who knows i mean <clears throat> i couldn't tell you i don't know I mean, maybe they're testing for EPO, maybe they're not. You know, but who knows? I mean, I'm not. 
it is it, it is kind of strange. She's pretty masculine. She is pretty you know buff and big. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say that she is because she hasn't tested positive, and until then she's the champion. So and I'm gonna give her full credit for credit is due. Now as far as the being the slam uh, slamming rose on her head, uh, I I read what Big John had to say, and Big John said exactly what I was actually thinking. Rose was going for the Kimura, and when you decide you want to go for the Kimura or whatever, then you get picked up and slammed on your head. You have an option to let go of that submission, and you could she could have let go of it and braced herself for the fall, but she didn't do that. She kept it, and so then she she could have gotten out of that position at any time by letting go of that submission, and when she kept it, that put herself right on her head and knocked herself out. That's a fight game. You know, uh, you take those chances, and... That that's just how the that's how the fight game goes. Look, I love Rose. I'm actually probably one of her biggest fans. I love everything about her. I love the way she talks to people. I love how she is in front of the camera. I love how quiet and humble she is. Um, I love the way she fights. I love that she got some dogs in them hands, man. And uh, I hope I hope we do get to see her again. But the fact is, the simple fact of the matter is, is we had Alima Lay McFarlane on here, and this is what I think is going on is she won the title, and Alima Lay said the same thing after she won the title. She said, I'm at the pinnacle of my career, and now what do I do? It's almost like a hangover, you guys. You win the title, and it's just that, all right, now what's next? And I feel like she maybe has a little bit of that going on right now. She's lost, and she doesn't know what to do. She's like, my whole goal, my whole life was about getting to the title, getting the title. And then she gets the title, and she's like, all right. And then honestly, I mean, they kind of didn't give her any respect. They gave Joanna an automatic rematch. Now, had the fight went the distance when she fought Joanna, I would have said, okay, give her the automatic rematch. But she knocked her out. And she didn't just knock her out, but she like dropped her. And like she she just dismantled her and owned her for that whole that whole fight, that whole first fight. So the fact is, like when they turned around and gave her an automatic rematch, it was almost like telling Rose, like, they don't want me to be champion. So then they fought her. She fought her again. Closer fight, you know, things like that. But Rose still won, you know. And then she takes some time off. And I just, I feel like she's trying to find herself right now. She's just, she's still young. She's still very talented. I mean, she was touching up uh, Jessica Andrade and just torn. Like it, she was, it looked like she was toying with her. I was like, oh my god, this is this is embarrassing. Not embarrassing, but it was. She was dominating the fight. So. Uh, who knows, man? I hope we see her again, but if we don't see her again, hey, I'm mad at you, girl. You know, do your thing. You know, be happy doing whatever it is you do. And, uh, man, you did a lot. You're, you're fucking amazing. So I got a lot of love for us. Uh, from Draw, what do you think about the report saying there was no permanent damage done to Anderson Silva's leg? Could it be, could it have been PTSD from the Weidman fight? No, no. Um, as far as his, I think it's it's a sprain. There's no permanent damage. Like he doesn't need surgery, but a sprain is like a slight tear. So something probably at the, honestly at that age, he probably freaked the fuck out. Like I would, I would have freaked out too and be like, oh shit, fuck. Like you know, there's a lot I'm sure going through his mind from you know, from um you know when you get kicked in the leg like that, and he had been he got kicked a couple times earlier in the fight as well, just like that. So all that being said. I don't think so. I just think, honestly, at that, and I'm going to go back to the age thing because I'm old, too. Like, you guys forget, I'm old as fuck, too. So, 
there are times, man, where like, I roll with guys now in my own gym, or I and I go to AKA like like I said months ago. I would I would kind of play touch and kick, you know, and touch puck in the park. I would kind of like just kind of play kick with guys and you know light spar. But every time like they would try and kick a little bit harder or do something a little hard, it's like man, it doesn't feel the same anymore. It just doesn't feel the same. Like before, you used to take him and just walk through him, you know, when you were younger. But now it's not the same, man. Like he's forty four. I'm I'm forty one. He's forty four. So that lets you know. Like I didn't start feeling like that kind of thing until probably like I was thirty. Right after I fought Nate, thirty seven, thirty eight, somewhere in there. Like right around the Benson fight, I started feeling like, damn, I don't want to get hit no more, man. This is horrible. And I, it's not so much that he doesn't want to get hit. He, it's like I think things hurt more. You know, like he's got a lot of probably scar tissue and damage to his body from all the years of sparring, all the years of training, all those things. So that being said, I just think that he probably freaked the fuck out. And then on top of freaking the fuck out, he j- it probably did hurt. It probably hurt him a lot. Like he, the, a stretch and a tear in a ligament or, a, uh, you know, or, or, you know, muscular damage or whatever it is that he has. He has a knee sprain. That's what they said. But a sprain is basically like a slight tear is normally what it is. You know, or it stretched the, the ligament so much that it's, you know, there's a, it started fraying a little bit, you know, something along those lines. So, no, I, I don't think we're going to see him again. Just my honest opinion. Apparently, he's trying to, like, ink a long-term deal with the UFC because he wants, like, six more fights or some shit. But the UFC don't want to keep paying him to fight, man. They don't care. They, they don't want him to. And I think they're probably about to do the same thing, too, with BJ Penn. You know, they're going to tell him, too. Like, dude, you guys are, you guys are 41, 42. You guys got to let it go. They're, and they don't want to cut them because they, they've been icons of the sport. I mean, they own like three or four gyms with BJ Penn in Hawaii. They don't want to cut him. But like you can't, like if he, he's still able to talk, still able to have conversations, all those things. Like, you know, he he just, people just don't know, they don't know what to do. So as a promotion, they don't want to cut those guys. Let them make the decisions. That's good. Next question. Ooh, I'm going to be sick on that, looking at that picture. Oh, yeah. Um, from St- Steve Rivera, who would you like to see MVP fight next? You know, I kind of would like to see him in daily run it back. I I really would like, I would like to see them, I'd like to see a decisive winner in that fight. And I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe Paul again. Uh, can you pull up like even who was on that roster like in the one seventy pound division? Man, I mean, there's a lot of guys. Never mind, I take that back. The number one guy I would like to see him fight, Raymond fucking Daniels. Those two would be so fucking fun. If you watch him and Raymond Daniels fight, Raymond Daniels will take it to him. Both of them high flying, like highlight real knockouts. I would love to see that fucking fight. They both fight, I think, at 170. It's 170, I believe, is Raymond as well. Just book it now. Book it now. Do it in London. Let's do it. That's a great fucking fight, those two. Who knows? It might just be like them spinning around in the air and no one ever landed a punch, but still, that I, I would like people charge admissions to go watch karate kids do that shit. He's you know? five, it looks like. Yeah, I don't think he I think his last fight was at 170, though. Maybe it was 85. I don't think so. I think it was one. Maybe it was 85. Dude, he's only one and one as a pro. Yeah, yeah, because he's but he's kickboxing. Mm. He's like he's like one of the he's like one of the best ever like kickboxers as far as like the. Oh, above his way first fight was on the Strike Force card yeah. with you and Melendez. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I would say Raymond Daniels. That'd be a great fight. Mm-hmm. So scratch everything before that. Yeah, scratch everything. <laughs> forget, forget I said that. Don't pay attention to me. Uh, yeah. Young, uh, real quick, how long? A couple more? Yeah, yeah. We'll okay. get some time. How much time you got? No, got how good. many more we got? I'm good. Um, well, because we're live, there's a few. There's a lot coming in, but um, okay. we can just go until you're until you're until you're done. Um, young ninety four man says, "Do you think Jessica can hold on to the UFC belt for a long time?" Uh, no, I think Joanna's uh, probably gonna get a shot here pretty soon, and she's gonna beat her again. Think so? Yep. And they're gonna bring Rose back in there and throw a bunch of cash in front of Rose and be like, "Yo, beat Joanna again," so we can make a. We can have a story about this. <laughs> I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, this uh, Tatiana Suarez girl, though, she's tough. And then uh, you always have Claudia, who's always right there in that mix as well. Um, she's very good. So those those two, I think, uh, I, I don't know the other girl. Who's the other? Nina An- Anzaroff. I, oh, yeah. I don't think I've seen her fight. Uh, Maybe I know she... her. Yeah, I don't think I've seen her fight. Like yeah. That, yeah. Uh, she won against Gadea. She oh, won she against, beat Claudia, huh? She won against that chicken. She won against that. She chick. won against that chick. Oh, she beat Angela Hill also. I mean, she must be pretty decent. So I haven't seen her fight, but Claudia is always in that mix as well. She's but I would say right there at the top, you have Rose. You know, Rose dropped from being champion. Tatiana Suarez. I mean, I've seen her fight. She's pretty nasty. She's pretty good, but I don't think she gets past Rose. I don't think she and just in that mix, that mix of three. I mean, you could probably see. But Joanna, I think, can step right up and 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 be Jessica Andrade again. So next, uh, Dexter Morgan. Do you know who that is? No. Have you ever watched the TV show Dexter? No, never seen one episode. <laughs> That's his name, Dexter Morgan. Nice. Uh, it's my favorite show of all time. Really? Just, uh, That's kind Cliff of Cliff right there. Yeah. <laughs> is he uh, like a serial killer? He's like a doctor who's a serial killer. He's a blood spat analyst for the police. Yeah, he's like killing people, and he kills people. He's That's like pretty he's like awesome. Batman kind of. But you know, I haven't seen Sons of Anarchy. I've seen one, I haven't seen one sh- one yeah. show of Sons of Anarchy, but everyone keeps telling me to watch it. Me too. Yeah. So there's a guy on Sons of Anarchy called Chibs, yeah. and he's uh, Chibs. Yeah, and he's got like the the big cuts up his face. Oh really? Like uh, go, like Joker? Kinda, but um, but anyway, go ahead. But uh, they call him Chibs, and uh, they call him Chibs because a chib in Scotland is. A scar on your face like that. Uh huh. So just oh. just a little insight for any little fans fun fact there. Little fun fact from uh, Scottish producer Dave, Mister Glasgow City himself. Well, a lot of people over the years have said to me, "Oh, um, do you watch Sons of Anarchy?" And I'm like, "No." And they're like, "Oh, Chibs is from Ireland. That's close to you, right?" And I'm like, "Well, no, actually, Chibs is from Scotland." And here's how you got the name Chibs. And then <laughs> people, are, and then it's always like it's always like diehard Sons of Anarchy fans, and they're always like, "Oh my God, is that is that true? Like, why he's called that?" So yeah, you fucking idiots! <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't know. That's so funny. Okay, what's uh, the next question? So Dexter Morgan asks, "You've changed. You've trained with Khabib and fought Tony. Who do you think is the best lightweight?" Oh, for sure, Khabib. But let me be very clear. And I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna make this. I think Tony. His only chances of winning are by cut. The thing is, is Khabib fights always with a shaved head. When you fight with longer hair. It gives the blood a chance to like get soaked up by your hair, and it less of it gets into your face. Khabib, I can tell you now, when I fought Tony, he cut me three different spots on my head in my hair. That shit was pouring down into my face, but not as bad as it would have been had I had a shaved head. Then on top of that, I had that big cut on the right side of my head that he hit me with when he first originally dropped me with the elbow. 
That though was not getting, that wasn't getting blood in my face. That was dripping down the side of my head, maybe like a little bit off to my eye, but not, not that much. It was the cuts that were above my, uh, the cuts that were above, like right in my hairline, like right on my fore, like right above my forehead. Those were the cuts that did all, they kept all the blood coming in my, in my face. And the one thing is, is Khabib, when he's in your guard and Tony will push on the head and he'll elbow you. Like almost like an up and down elbow from the sky, but he does it from the guard and he does it from all angles. And he's got, he's really bony. His bone density is there. I'm simply saying, I feel like his only chance is by cut, but he has a really good chance at that. Be given the fact that Khabib has a shaved head, you know, and once that blood starts coming through, sure, Tony's going to take some shots. But one thing that Tony will be, Tony will be there in the fifth round. That fight for sure, Tony will be in there, be there in the fifth round. And Tony's one of those guys. He's too hard. He's way too hard to prepare for, you know. And where guys try to guys try to like think that they're gonna guys try to think that they're gonna stand and like um, do things with him, where he thinks he's gonna stand and throw punches. No, he's gonna throw elbows. He's got the range and the distance to throw elbows. Now, I think Khabib can control him, take him down, dominate him, do all those things. But in those exchanges, there's going to be elbows thrown from different angles. you know. And he knows that he can cut you. He knows he can do those things from all different angles in a fight. So all of that being said, man, it, it's the potential is there for Khabib to lose by cut. And I think that's the only way. I don't think Khabib loses by submission. I don't think Khabib loses by knockout. I don't think Khabib loses by any of those things. That's the only way I see Tony beating him, but that is a very likely chance. Like, like that is very likely because of the way Tony is with his elbows. And not just speaking for me, you look back at some of his other fights when he's fought. He's cutting some dudes up, almost like reminds me a lot of Kenny Florian. They kind of, they kind of, they go out of their way to make sure that they're landing their elbows because they know their elbows do a lot of damage. Next question. Uh, from Ben, he asks, thoughts on potential Zabit versus Ortega matchup? Zabit, Ortega. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I saw Zabit's last fight, and I was very impressed. But then I saw his fight um, before that. I was not so impressed. And so, I don't know. Like, he hasn't, like, wowed me yet. Like, sure, I think he's good. I think he's very talented. Um... Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, um, no, no, wait, never mind. So it was the Kyle Bochniak or whatever, Bochniak yeah. or whatever. That fight, I wasn't really impressed, you know? And then, but I was impressed with the knee bar. Obviously, I think everyone was. We talked about, I think it was on, it was like on SportsCenter or some shit. Anyways, and the Jeremy Stevens fight, um, I was, I was like, uh, it was, he, he had a dominant, he had a good performance, did really well, but, um, I don't know yet. I don't know. I I, I don't. I, I think Ortega. I think uh, Brian Ortega is kind of like that next level. But I go back to the confidence coming off of the loss, the one you came off of against Max Holloway. You're not the same guy you were when you were winning, 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 winning. You know, and athletes and fans and the fighter himself needs to understand that Zabit is winning, winning, winning. Doesn't plan on losing. His confidence is all-time high. Now you're fighting a guy who's lost. He lost his chance at the title. And now you're fighting a guy who's coming off of a loss. That, I mean, he got touched up by Max. So if he fights him next, whew, that's a tough fight, man. That's a tough fight. But I, I would still probably give it to Brian Ortega. 
from Sniffer. Do you think Francis will ever be a champ considering he won first round against Stipe with ease and didn't train? How do you think the rematch goes? Francis who? In God? Yeah. No. You don't think he'll be champ? No. Because I, well, I mean, he, yeah, I know. DC's going to probably beat Stipe and not nothing against Stipe at all. I just, I, he doesn't have the, he's not, he doesn't have the speed, the athleticism to beat, to beat DC. Um, you know, doesn't have the wrestling, doesn't have all those things. So I would give it, um, DC's going to beat him. Now they, they he's going to probably vacate the title after that. And when he does vacate the title after that, he's going to turn around and, um, you know, and then they may give Agano and Stipe, he have Stipe fight again for the title. So it depends on who's, who Ngannou is going to fight after that. So, yeah, I, never mind. I take that back. Forget everything I said. Because now if Stipe loses again twice to, to Derek Lewis, Ngannou now is going to get somebody else. And whoever he gets, whether it's uh, not Derek, if he gives Derek Lewis um, and Ngannou, the two of them, I mean, I don't know, you know. And then I would go probably Ngannou over Derek Lewis. And then you have who else is there? Who else is in that weight class? Who else? The heavyweights. Yeah, heavyweights. Yeah, you got Junior. I think Ngannou. Ngannou beats Junior. i like to see Junior get another shot, man. I'd like to see that. So you can probably have the two of them fight for the vacant title. Steve would drop to Curtis Blades. You got Curtis Blades up in that mix now to fight maybe uh, Volkov or uh, Stipe next. The winner of that fight's probably the winner of Francis and Junior. That'd be a fucking great fight, to be honest. Someone get knocked the fuck out in that fight. That's going to be a great fight. So, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I guess, yes. To answer your question, yes. I can see him being champion, but not beating DC and, and not beating Stipe. <clears throat> Rob200485 says, Will the UFC ever, uh, ever not be the number one promotion? How long until another promotion catches up? What promotion ends up on top if it's not the UFC? Uh, right now, I mean, honestly, right now, and I obviously, I'm not trying to be biased at all. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I but I think I'm not saying, I'm saying Bellator is the one that's the closest. And the reason why I'm saying that, because there's a lot of things that are going to happen within the next year, year and a half. And I, obviously I can't tell you guys any of this, uh, but I can't tell you there's a lot of good things that are going to happen that is going to set them either equal or if not above whatever the UFC is doing. So all that being said, I, I have no doubts about it that the Bellator will be in that mix. Now, what you guys have to understand is that not only will they be in that mix, but then they have to do a lot of things to help get them in that mix. So not just having like whatever deals done and sponsors and endorsements and big companies backing them or whatever, that doesn't just put them there, okay? That helps get them there. But they, they've only got 250 or 200, 250 fighters on the roster. UFC has 600 plus. That's why they have they have to have that many fighters to have that many shows that they have. Bellator right now only has like 30-something fights, 33 fights a year or something like that, 32 fights a year. So they've got a long ways to go. But I'm simply saying like Bellator is the closest. Ryzen's not really like Bellator and Ryzen are kind of working together. And not, I'm not saying like they're friends. Like they are friends, but they're not. They're not helping each other promote. Uh, each show's doing their own thing, but they cross-promote every once in a while is what I'm trying to get. They're not like talking every day going, hey, let me help you pump this up. You help me pump. They're not doing that. What they are doing is like, hey, we, we should probably try to work together for this show. Let's see if we can do something great. Let's match this guy and this guy. Sounds perfect. Let's do it. Then they go their separate ways. So that being said, um, I would say Bellator is next in line. One has got a lot of great things that are looks like they're coming to fruition. 
But man, if you guys look at, <clears throat> if you guys had ever seen or looked at like people talk about the like one championships like financials, they're a clusterfuck. Like the organization itself, I think is so fun to watch. But people have talked about their financial their their finances and you know and their business dealings and all those other things. I feel like they have a long way to go. They're doing a lot of good things right now. I'm excited for them. I am. I used to work for them for two years, uh, calling fights. Dude, I love Frank Mir. Uh, not Frank Mir, but uh, Rich Franklin. He's out there. <clears throat> uh, Matt Hume is out there. Misha Tate is now out there. We had her on talking about oh, you know her new experiences out there, being out there for the week, her first week on the job. So if you guys haven't heard that podcast, go over to there and check out Sammy and the Punk, and we had her on there. She's uh. Like that that whole that whole organization, like they've got some good talented people there kind of helping to run it. Um, they've got some good things going on. I just don't think that they're ready to come to the States, come to, you know, they might start trying to spread themselves too thin. I know they, they went to Japan, I think, and they, I think they're talking about going to Brazil. They are talking about coming to the States, maybe even potentially going to Vegas. That's a little, yeah, that's the UFC area. I'm going to stay away from that. You know, it's it's just, it's a little, you know, it's one of those things. Like you don't want to. You don't want to uh, wake the bear kind of thing, you know, with the UFC. So you just kind of just do your own thing. That's the one thing I've always appreciated and respected about Scott Coker is that he's always just straight up just said to to Dana and to every other uh, media outlet. It's like, look, we have our show. They have their show. We're going to do what we do. They're going to do what they do. And there's enough place in this world, on this planet, you know, for two big fight promotions. And that's the way he's always looked at it. And there's, you can't have anything else but respect for that. Next question. What time is it? Um, okay, so we'll do, it depends. We got till nine o'clock. Okay. Um, I just have a follow-up for you real quick, by the way. See on the glove situation, the red and blue, mm -hmm. someone said that red is favorite, blue is underdog. That's what I said. No, you never? Yes. No, you did No, not. you said the UFC was that. And I said in the in, in Strike Force it's red. You said UFC is blue. No, I said red. No, you did I even posted a clip on my Instagram. Go, no guys, go check out my Instagram podcast, Dave. You'll see that I posted a clip where I proved to Josh that I was right and he was wrong. No one likes Dave anyways. But, dude, I'm telling you. Whatever. Go ahead. Tell me yeah. what were you saying. No, no, that's it. So red is, red is, red is favorite, blue is underdog. It's not like. No, chan. red, red not, is favorite, blue is underdog. That's what I just said. No, you didn't say that that day, though. No, I know you're... I didn't say that day, but neither but did you. Yes, I did. No, I said, you didn't. I said, yes, red is normally favorite for for strike force. You said for UFC, I think it's blue. No, I didn't. I think it's blue. No, I said I think the UFC is opposite. I think UFC is blue, and then red is not favorite there. No, I think it's wrong. Is it's, it? Okay. Because, yeah, red's, red's favorite in UFC. Okay, okay. For sure. But then, okay, so Bellator's, I think, the same way. And then my, my other question... Since I get to jump in on questions in this. All right. When it comes to uh, fighter trunks. You're taking away from the fans. I get it. Go ahead. Go <laughs> wow. Ahead. When it comes to fighter trunks, uh, is that just like a preference of style or is it like uh, allocated? Think, so the champion ones, are you talking about no, for Bellator? Like I'm talking about, you know, how somewhere they wear the loose, they wear the shorter, the longer. <laughs> That's fighter like, preference. Is it fighter preference? Yeah. Okay. It's however they want it to be cut. Brebach will cut it any way they want. Oh, okay. Yep. That was it. Just curious. The only thing that's not a preference, like you can pick, like if you want to wear like the Brazilian colors, the U.S. colors, you want to wear black, you want to wear white. The one thing you can't pick though, unless you're a champion, is they wear black with the gold. Oh yeah, with the gold. Print. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. just strictly for champions only. Okay. Um, now back to the fans' questions. Fuck you. Go ahead. Um, 
from D Shiznit. This one's kind of similar to earlier. Uh, when, if ever, do you see cross promotion fights, multi promotion, Grand Prix, or something like that? Be pretty bitching. Yeah, we we talked about that already. Next one. <laughs> um, so from Eduardo Flores, why could we wanted a money fight over Tony, but not but no problem fighting Dustin? Wanted a money fight over Tony. A hard matchup, but no problem fighting Dustin, a less popular and easier matchup. Uh, he I hasn't fought Dustin yet, but he hasn't. He he'll fight Dustin though. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know what he means. I think he's basically trying to say Khabib Khabib wanted Connor over Tony because Tony think, was harder, but now he's happy. Wait, to take here's Dustin. the thing: I don't think Khabib, I don't think it, look Khabib's the kind of guy. I was like, you, hey, you put him in front of me, I'll fight him. I think the UFC wanted Connor and Khabib. As much oh, as, and then also too, I think Connor said he wanted Khabib, and UFC's like, let's fucking jump on this as fast as we can. So, and like I had said before, you're talking about guys, guys that move the needle, versus and and not, don't no disrespect to Tony, man. It's just the fact is, is he doesn't move the needle like you're like like Connor does, or he doesn't move the needle like Khabib does. Like it's crazy. You post, I want some, I want all you guys to do this. I want you guys to all post a picture of Khabib and say something negative about him on there and tag him on it. And I'll bet you anything, you'll get about 100 messages, maybe even 200 on just your page talking shit to you. It doesn't matter. I've posted something on one of Khabib's uh, comments talking trash to him. Like it's friendly, like him and I are, you know, and I'll probably get 30, 40 replies in 10 minutes. People telling me to fuck off. People telling me kick, they'll kick my ass. All these things. You know, you have a couple in there that are like, hey, they train together, they're friends. And then other guys just ripping you apart. Try that out, you guys, and see. Those are things that guys move needles, man. And certain when you have fan bases that are like that, like Connor's fan base and the, and, and, and Khabib's, they, the UFC had to put that fight together. There was nothing else they could do. Um. The last question. And they had, by the way, it worked out. 2.4 million pay-per-view buys. I drastically underestimated that. I was on Brennan Schaub's show telling him, and even Brennan said, he didn't think it was going to do over 1.6. I was like, you know what? I can agree with you. I was like 1.6. I said even, I think, up to 1.8. But I, there was no way it was breaking 2 million. And it fucking broke 2 million. That put my foot in my mouth, but that's that's the deal. 2.4. UFC laughing all the way to the bank. All right. Last one? Yeah, last one. Last one. The Wolfman asks... If you could start your career over with all the experience you have now, how would you change your training? Uh, I would do less. You'd train less? Yeah, I would train less. Yep. I train like a fucking animal. No, it's, it's true. Like I would get up, I can give you guys an idea. I would train sometimes four to five times a day. Saturday I would train probably at least once, sometimes two, every once in a while, three times on Saturday. Stupid dumb that's why i was hurt so much that's why a lot of my fights i went in i went in with like hurt knee like you know i had when i fought gil the third time i tore my pcl the week before you know like i had, I had injuries like throughout my whole career like all the time man and i just overtrained i was always always exhausted i remember fighting getting ready for gil the second time i was so overtrained that i would come into the gym and i would spar with guys that were amateur fighters for my first like one or two rounds and I was so overtrained I was exhausted by the second round I couldn't even finish five rounds of sparring 
it was horrible. So I actually, I actually went to the doctor. I got blood work done. I, I did. I went and got a whole blood panel to see if I had to see if I had um, cancer, because I was so, I was so concerned because I just couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I would go and I'd go through the motions and train, but I was like walking around like a zombie. Couldn't sleep at night. Was like I'd go to bed at like one, two in the morning. Wake up at like three or four or five in the morning. Wake up like wide awake. Then I'd go run, you know, three to five miles. Come home, you know, eat, shower, and try to get some sleep. Couldn't sleep, you know. And then I would go back to noon training and train at noon. And spar with all the fighters or grapple with all the fighters. Do wrestling or whatever it was we were doing that day for two hours. Train hard with all the AKA guys. Then I'd go home, eat, shower, try to get a nap. Never really could sleep. Um, you know, and then I'd go and then I'd go do a full like lifting workout with my coach. Um, that was only four days. That was only four days a week. So I would do that four days a week, but like full, like deadlift snatches, like kettlebells, pull-ups, pull-up hops, like assault bike, like full five rounds, 25 minutes. So full five rounds, minute break. I would simulate a fight. I would do that every time with him, like car pushes, sled drags, all that shit. Right. Then I would go, that was it, like three or four in the afternoon. That was only like a two-hour gap because we'd end fighter training at two. I'd do that at like four o'clock in the afternoon. That would take about 25, 30 minutes once I warmed up and everything, another 20, so about 45 minutes total. Then I would go and hit mitts with Javier Mendez for about an hour on the mitts. And then right after that, I'd go do the the 30-minute bike workout with the fighters. So I do the assault bike workout with the fighters, and then I go hit. I'd hit the bag in between every round. So we do a minute on, minute off. I'd hit the bag. I do wall escapes, mount escapes, all that shit. Fucking six days, five days a week, I would do that workout. Stupid, dumb, dumbest thing I could have ever done. And then on top of that, when you're that overtrained, you're never really hungry. You never really eat a whole lot. All you're living off of is fucking protein shakes. It just, yeah. I mean, realistically, I feel like I ruined my career doing that. That would be the one thing that I did. Like I just, I would, I got to the point where up until I fought Gil the first time I was training only twice a day, sometimes with a run, you know, I'd, I'd train, you know, at fighter training or I'd go for a run in the morning to get my body woken up, like just a mile, mile and a half. Then I'd train with the fighters from noon to two. This is before I fought Gil the first time and beat him for the world title. Then I would go at night and uh, hit mitts and do the bike workout with the guys. And that was it. So just like a, you know, a good two trainings a day and then with like a mile or a mile and a half run in the morning to wake my body up and plenty of food in between. As soon as I won the world title, add more shit, do more things. You got to do more. Instead of just sticking with what was working for me, I was like, you got to do more. You do this, buy this. Do It was like stupid shit, man. Was that to do with passion or was that to do with just the, you felt like you had to do it and I felt like you, you were the champion. Now it's, and, and what it was is you're the champion now. And now it's harder, and everyone kept telling me, it's harder to keep the belt than it was to get it. And I was like, all right, well, fuck it. I got to do more. And just more just ruined my career. That's all. That was the biggest thing. I felt like I'd be a totally different, I would have been a totally different fighter had it not happened that way. Because what happened was after I won the title, I defended it once at the Playboy Mansion against uh, Ash Bowman who fought them, finished that, got done with that. Then the next time I got ready for Gil, which was going to be my next fight. I was so overtrained. I was sparring with Billy Evangelista. And uh, he like just went to jump up on my back. And I couldn't even. I was so tired and fatigued from being overtrained. I just fell backwards the week before the fight. Broke my ankle. Broke my leg. Both the, both the bones of my leg. 
screws, pins, everything in my ankle now. Like all that shit because I was so overtrained that in the third round he jumped up on my back and I couldn't even fucking, I wasn't even strong enough to hold him up anymore because I wasn't fresh. And just fucking folded backwards, got my foot caught up underneath me and we both fell back on my ankle and my leg broke. Tore, my, tore some ligaments in my ankle, everything. It was shit, man. And then ever since then, ever since then, I don't, I never really kicked to the body with that leg anymore because I have a metal plate in there. So it hurts every time I kick to the body there. So that was like my bread and butter. If you guys go back and watch the fights before that, I always used to kick to the body, knee with the body, all that shit. But I would set up that body kick on that liver side and I'd stop pretty much doing it because every time I kicked your elbow, I fucking, your elbow hit my metal plate and that fucking hurts bad, man. If you, if you know anyone that ever had a metal plate in their arm or in their ankle or their leg, fuck, it's brutal. It hurts. Every time you just bang it, fuck, it sucks, man. It sucks so bad. Does it make a noise if you hit it with a no, something else? No, it metal? just hurts, man. It just hurts like a motherfucker. <laughs> I know how you feel. I broke my collarbone in judo one time, and I was on my way to becoming a superstar as no, well. you weren't. <laughs> you could barely fucking bend over and touch your feet, motherfucker. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was fucking good in judo. You were? Yeah. You didn't have judo in Scotland? What do you mean? What do you mean? It's a worldwide. Worldwide. It's worldwide. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's it. Well, is, there any, is there any good ones in there? Uh, a lot of it's Tony and Pettis and uh, sorry, uh, Tony Cowboy and Pettis and Nate. Yeah, a okay, lot of okay. it. Um, we answered yeah. a lot of those already. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in. We went live. We're gonna continue to try and do this as much as we possibly can. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. So, uh, follow us on IG. Also, please like the live video. Of, I think if you can, and then I'll help share it. Please share our stuff. Try to get as many followers as we can. Try to get this ball rolling. Uh, we have picked it up a lot. And uh, we are going to continue to do more live shots for you guys and live things for you. I'd like to eventually get our podcast on a full live ordeal instead of just the Q&As for, uh, for live stuff. But I really enjoy this. Uh, follow us at, at Sammy the Punk on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. And uh, follow me at, at the Real Punk on Twitter and Instagram. I truly appreciate it. Thank you guys. And uh, Podcast Dave, he's also Podcast Dave, uh, Podcast Dave on, <laughs> on Instagram. Gay, you think? It's Podcast Gay. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, guys. Uh, thank you so much. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And we will be doing this again, hopefully here shortly. And we'll try to get this all up on live and everything more often for you guys. Okay, take care.